Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Welcome into Soccer Morning. Here we go, live on a Thursday. Hopefully, your morning is nice and quiet and peaceful and restful as you head into what I'm sure is going to be a busy day. Does anybody not have a busy Thursday ahead of a Friday when you totally want to slack and do nothing? Who wants to actually do any work on Fridays? Thursday is when you got to pack it all in, get it all, get it all, get everything together. You're like do extra work so that you can completely slack on Friday because it's just difficult with your mind looking ahead to the weekend to get anything done. We're definitely going to pack in a lot of stuff. Now, I figure tomorrow's show will probably be good too. But we're definitely going to pack in a lot of stuff on today's program. David Cartledge will join us from Spain to go over some in- uh, some interesting stories. In La Liga, in Spanish football, I mentioned the Martin Odegaard story. There certainly is something surrounding Real Madrid at the moment, not directly influencing their league campaign or their Champions League campaign. In fact, they got some good news on the uh, league campaign front. Or, Well, I say good news. They have a good result from yesterday that we'll uh, get into here in a second. Now I got Barcelona, obviously, Atletico Madrid, all the heavy hitters in Spain. We'll talk to David about those guys. And then news out of Philadelphia. Uh, in the aftermath of that extraordinarily terrible performance by Ray Zamboli in, uh, in Kansas City against Sporting in a game that, uh, Philadelphia ultimately lost 3-2 despite having a lead into added time. He has been let go. He has been sidelined. He has been, what happened exactly? Kevin Kincaid from Philadelphia will join us. We'll talk through all of the issues surrounding the union, but mostly Ray Zamboli who uh, did not seem to work out. Was get, making an awful lot of money under the Philadelphia for the Philadelphia Union to play some pretty terrible terrible goalkeeper. So that's what you have to look forward to today. After that, we'll take your phone calls uh, later on in the show. Certainly talk about whatever is on your mind. Remember, next week, I mean, we may have a we may have a full two and a half three days of build up. I suppose three days of build up until USA Mexico in San Antonio next week. That's a Wednesday game. So if you want to get in early, what you expect out of Jurgen Klinsmann's roster, which should be delivered this weekend. The man waits and waits and waits. Mexico's already got some names out there. Kubo Torres is in their team. I saw a couple other names floating around. Where is our uh, U.S. men's national team roster? Where is that roster? Let's do the news because that's definitely not in the news. Let's do the news this morning. Club America overcame a 3 Nothing aggregate deficit from the first leg in Costa Rica to beat Aridiano six nothing last night at club at the uh, Azteca Stadium. Six nothing for Club America. They advanced to the Champions League final against Montreal. The first leg will be there in Mexico City. The second leg in Montreal. So you have a surprise uh, entrant in Montreal, and you have Club America, who we always thought would get here after they went down three nothing. In Costa Rica, it looked questionable, but they just absolutely blitzed Aridiano last night. I watched some of that game. They they had the deficit over and done with within the first 20 minutes. It was 3 nothing Club America in the first 20 minutes, and it just seemed a foregone conclusion from there. When they scored in the first three minutes, I tweeted, Hey, Montreal, get ready for your trip to Mexico City. So what uh, what chances do the Impact have against Club America with a first leg in Mexico City? Uh, look, they surprised us with what they've done so far. It's possible to surprise us again. Club America, probably the best team in the region. 
most talented team in the region. It's going to be tough. Midweek MLS last night in Vancouver, the Whitecaps get a 2-2 draw with Columbus uh, with Columbus Crew SC. Kai Kamara scoring twice for the Crew or for Crew SC. It's going to take some getting used to. Meanwhile, Octavio Rivero scored again for Vancouver. That's five already. And Darren Maddox scored on the very nice play between him and Kutamane for the Whitecaps. This entertaining game had that on as well. A little double soccer action on a Wednesday night. Can't beat that. Too, uh, can't beat that. Octavio Rivero, very good, obviously. Kai Kamara's second goal. Someone's going to have to explain to me what happened there. Um, the feed I was watching, which I believe was from TSN, went from a shot of the sideline and some players milling about to the ball in the back of the net and Kai Kamara celebrating. So I still don't know what happened there on Columbus's second goal. Uh, but they split the points there in uh, an MLS game in the midweek. Casey Keller, Siggy Schmidt, and Glenn Mooch-Meyernick have been elected to the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. Meyernick posthumously, he passed away a couple of years back. Casey Keller and Siggy Schmidt, both, both deserving candidates. Now, I need to go back and look at the list of candidates who did not get voted into the Hall of Fame because I imagine there are some questionable names being left off of this list. No problem with any of these guys. Any of these three individuals, but I imagine somebody got left out that should be there. We'll certainly open up the phone lines and take a look at the uh, U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame a little bit later in the show. Who doesn't love a Hall of Fame discussion? Like, if I wanted to rile producer Trevor up, and this is not true, I don't believe this in a a second, but if I wanted to rile him up and he didn't know I was messing with him, I'd say something like, Derek Jeter's not a Hall of Famer. And we would have a fight, and it would be fun. (laughs) Mario Balotelli has posted a thermometer picture to his Instagram account to prove that the guy's sick because there was some question over him missing that FA Cup replay against Blackburn yesterday. So he had to go on Instagram and post a picture of his, his, uh, his temperature being 30, what is it, 37.6 degrees or something Celsius. Anything over 37 is, hey, you definitely got a fever. Is this really, really what it's come to now? If Mario Balotelli misses a game and it's supposedly for illness, we're going to question everything now. He's going to have to Instagram pictures of his thermometer. It's ridiculous. Bayern Munich has moved past uh, Bayer Leverkusen in the German Cup on penalties that happened yesterday, as did Arminia. Arminia. Damn it. I almost had this. Arminia Bielfeld getting past launching Gladbach. Now, Bielfeld is in the third division of German soccer and they beat Mönchengladbach who I believe is still a top five German team right now I don't have the standings in front of me but they are up there somewhere in the top of the Bundesliga Zlatan Ibrahimovic who by the way has a search engine I have not clicked this link am I missing out if I haven't clicked the link that says hey everybody Zlatan's got a search engine yes I am a big fan of Zlatan Ibrahimovic we share a birthday I will continue to hammer that home. I share a birthday with Laton. That's pretty damn cool. But why should I care about his search engine? What exactly is it? Does it have Pac-Man when I go to, to does it Zaton Maps have Pac-Man? Because if it doesn't, what's the point? Zaton Ibrahimovic scored three times in PSG's Coupe de France win over Saint Antienne, so they advance in that competition. That's what you had yesterday. You had uh, in this part of the world, you had Copa Libertadores, which I don't have the results here. I'll take a look at that. In Copa Libertadores, CONCACAF Champions League, a midweek MLS match, and across the pond, it was mostly cup games. 
A couple of, a couple of uh, league matches, I think, in Spain. Barcelona with a big win. And obviously, uh, Real Madrid with a win as well. We're going to talk to David Cartledge about those things in just a second. Let's go ahead and clear out of the way. Get David on the line. Talk some La Liga. Talk Martin Odegaard at Real Madrid. It'll be uh, it'll be a blast. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Facing the crowd. You're talking too loud. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, back talking some La Liga with our friend David Cartledge. He is on the line with me now. David, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, nice to be joining you. It's nice to have you. You're already tweeting out that you're going to be penning some uh, some love uh, love letters for James Rodriguez here during this discussion. And <laughs> we, will get, we will get to James and his return to... Uh, the Real Madrid lineup and how and just how influential he can be. I think what we should start with though is um, his teammate and Ronaldo scoring his uh, his 300th in a um, his 48th goal of the season. First of all, his 300th of his Real Madrid career, two nothing over Rayo Vallecano in that game. So before we get to Hamas, hey, talk to me, tell me about this 300th goal for Ronaldo. Look, it's a nice round number. We focus too much on those things, but it is meaningful. What what? Uh, what does this say about Ronaldo and, and how good he has been since making the move to Real Madrid? Yes, so it's 288 games, and in that time, 300 goals. It's just, it's just, it's just a staggering number, um, especially in modern football as well, and and the league that he's playing. He's, he's not playing the joke league here as much as people like to say that it is sometimes. He's not. He's playing at a high level here, and to do what he has done um, is it, just remarkable. And his game has changed considerably now. He's, he's not outside the box as much. He's not dribbling or taking on players as much anymore. He's more of a fortune now. His game, his game's changed massively. And with that, we see his goal tally increasing and not declining as he gets older. Uh, that is an interesting thing. I mean, you, sometimes you see players who, uh, you know, a player who relies on their, on their speed, on their pace, for example, they lose a step, everything goes away, their, their production drops off. I'm not saying that Ronaldo is much less, much slower than he was five years ago, but certainly age has an impact. And yet here he is continuing to score at such a clip that the only person on the planet that can compete with him happens to be Lionel Messi, which is why, again, I think some people lose this context, David. We are living in one of the most remarkable times for a pair of footballers we have ever seen in the history of the game. Yeah, precisely. You know, it's it's football's own version of like having Federer and Nadal and then Djokovic came along and Murray came along. <laughs> you know, it's incredible having so, so many, you know, it's incredible, sorry, having these two players at this level in this same era. There's not one person dominating a certain time. Um, and they push each other on and it's, it's fantastic for the viewer. And I know people try to differentiate the two and, and say, oh, so-and-so is better. He's got more to his game. But I think above all, I think we, we must really cherish what we have with these two right now. Now, uh, again, before we get to Hamas here, we're going to give you, you plenty of chance to extol his virtues. Re- uh, Ronaldo, did he get a yellow card in this game for a, for a dive? Uh, is that going to be an issue? 
Yeah, that's right. He uh, he got this yellow for a dive. Uh, the player, the real good players, came out after and said it wasn't a dive, but he gets the yellow card and he misses the game against uh, against Loli Ibar, and um, it frees him up for, for later on because there was a few players carrying yellow cards, so it frees them up and and yeah, yeah. So it was, I think it was all in the plan really. And if you like that sort of thing or you don't like it, then so be it. It happened, and uh, yeah, he'll miss the next game. All right, so let's turn to James Rodriguez, the Colombian back in the team, obviously after a long injury layoff. This has been a missing element for Real Madrid, and you can certainly point to, and I believe you have on this program, his absence being part of the reason things have not been smooth for, for Madrid. Now, they, they've won some, they've won their fair share of games. They've been good enough in certain competitions, but they've also had some bumps in the road. Talk to me, tell me about James Rodriguez and what he did last night, and then what he brings back to Real Madrid. Of course, what he did last night, um, he, again, like he has since his move, he's integrated immediately. It looks like he's never been aware. Um, he's been out for two months, but last night with his, uh, finish, it was 13 goals now and 13 assists in 35 games. It's, it's an incredible number for considering the pressure that he's under in terms of fee. The fact that he played Angel Di Maria, who had the best season of his career at Real Madrid and was then sold. And but yeah, the fact that he's come back injured and it's difficult for any player coming back into the Real Madrid team. And he, he just brings a wonderful vibrance and it, it, the purpose of his movement off the ball. And when he's with the ball, it, it's incredible. There's no other player, I don't think, at Real Madrid who can use the ball quite like him. He, he's very quick. He's very sharp. He's very agile. He knows his next move before the ball's arrived. And he, he reads the game wonderfully in that sense. And... He's come back, and the burden on Isco, I think we mentioned, it's, it's maybe weighed down on him a little bit. And now Hamas is back, it takes that off, and it maybe frees up the team a little bit more. And you can see everybody is happier for Hamas Rodriguez being back as well. I think, uh, here, here's the tweet. I actually wanted to pull this up, uh, David, and you've sort of, you, you've said it, but I think your, your tweet that you sent out last night is perfect. Seriously, I'd pay, I'd pay price over and over again for Hamas. He's fantastic. So sharp on the ball. On and off the ball, every action with great purpose, and I think that's that last bit there is what you're talking about. That's that's the mm-hmm. difference between a pl- an, an incredibly talented player who cannot, who just for whatever reason is not effective, is not consistent. Maybe here, there's a lot of flash there, but you don't see it come to anything in the end. Hamas has purpose, and and that separates him. Yes, absolutely. He, he he's very driven in his actions and how he works. He doesn't really a normal player will have a little bit more time for thought, but Hamas seems to know his actions straight away um, before the ball is received because of how he how he moves between the lines in that final third. And he can drop off wide as well. He can also come deeper and he can play in many positions. And if the rumours are to be believed in the Real Madrid dressing room, they, uh, there's, a, there's a little bit of, I don't know, not anger towards this goal, but just a little bit of, just a bit of query about how he's a bit more hesitant on the ball and, and he slows play down a little bit. With Hamas, it brings back that storm what Real Madrid like when they counter. Real Madrid uh, at their best when they're playing with pace, they're on the counter, and they use all attributes such as power. And Hamas brings that back, and Real Madrid are a far, far more direct team with him. And that's not down in their score, it's just two different types of players and what they bring. Uh, let's turn to Barcelona, because they still have the lead at the top of the La Liga standings, and they maintain that with a 4 nothing win uh, yesterday over Almeria. Uh, just a, a report, a brief report on Barcelona's performance and, and how likely it is that you see them holding on to this lead because as much as Real Madrid may look better with James Rodriguez in their side, they still have a gap to make up. 
Yeah, indeed, it was it was pretty much a routine win. I mean, I know it was four 0 but it 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 didn't it didn't really it wasn't really a four 0 in the sense that they didn't uh, they they weren't at their best. Uh, they were on a different gear, and I understand that the games are coming thick and fast. They they had a very very tough game at South of the Vigo, um, which they which they managed to win as well. And then they're winning gritty at the moment. It's not pretty, but Luis Enrique is getting the results. And at one period, at one time, he wasn't getting the results and getting flack. So. There is people now still giving him flack, saying that Barcelona should be made playing a lot more attractive. But at the end of the day, he's getting the three points in the bag. Barcelona are holding on, and right now they they they're looking in very very good shape. What was this? Uh, what was this? I see about Luis Enrique and this and the status of Neymar and, and questions over whether or not he had benched mm-hmm. Neymar. Yeah, again, I think he's just a little bit out of form, and I think if Luis Enrique had persisted with him, it sends out the wrong message. That, you know, this is the this is the big Barcelona signing. Um, look, I'll take him out the team if he's not playing well, and that goes for anybody. And and that's just how it is. Neymar's just a little a little bit short of confidence at the moment. And also, I think games have mounted up. He he hasn't been afforded much of a rest. He's been traveling about with Brazil as well. And I think it's a good time to rest him. And maybe for the last five six league games, and then obviously the important Champions League games, he might be a little bit more fresher. That confidence might come back. So yeah, I don't think there's too much to worry about there. It's just a, a general drop. Uh, Atleti with a win as well. Uh, they are still hanging on, you know, by a thread, I suppose. Uh, give me a, give me just a, a, a quick um, snapshot of Atleti at this point in their season, and as we get closer to, you know, the the, the big time here at the end of the Champions League. Yeah, again, very much routine Atleti at the moment, very gritty, and Antoine Griezmann. Who's, who's really carrying them in the sense that he's bringing that bit of flair, he's bringing that bit of excitement to them, and, and he and, and like James Rodriguez, he provides a, uh, he provides a lot of purpose, and he's, he's really electric with his actions. And right now, he's he's a difference maker for Atleti. Um, but I think Simeone will will say, "Oh, we're still chasing the league," but I think it is gone. And the big picture for Atleti is securing that third place and pushing in the Champions League. That trophy, what what just evaded the massive. Uh, yeah, in terms of securing third place, uh, both Valencia and Sevilla four points back. I mean, do, do you really see either one of those sides being um, a, a challenger for that third spot? Um, yeah, I mean, I do. I think I think that's the most exciting thing at the moment. Actually, about the league is that one could go either way, and I, I think Valencia missed a massive chance of the weekend uh, against uh, Villarreal when they when they drew, and tonight Valencia got another big game. So with Sevilla winning. Uh, the pressure is on Valencia to to secure a win tonight, and it's a very difficult one at Athletic at Samamés. And even though the form at Samamés hasn't been as solid as usual, it's still a horrible place to go, and especially a weeknight as well. Uh, let's uh, let's I left this a little bit into the conversation because it certainly isn't uh, isn't uh, applicable to the league race, and isn't applicable to any of the Champions League ra- uh, 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 efforts of these clubs. But the story of Martin Odegaard at Real Madrid, like he is a He's one of those uh, phenom players. He's obviously uh, made a lot of news for for debuting for Norway at at 15, eight, 15 years of, of age. He's incredibly talented. Real Madrid, as you would expect, was uh, won the race. Not as you would expect, certainly to win the race, but certainly it was involved and had a very good chance and ultimately did sign him. Now the question I have is, I, well, first lay out lay out for anybody who doesn't realize or hasn't heard what's going on with with Odegaard. David, what exactly is going on with Odegaard in terms of his his attitude, his place, and how Real Madrid has been bringing him along? Yeah. Um, Martin Odegaard is refusing to train with the reserves, Real Madrid Castilla. 
um, and only joins him with the train on the eve of the team's games. Um, and it's very difficult, therefore, for for Odegaard to come in and, and be tactically sound, know the system, uh, integrate with his teammates when he's only coming on the eve of games. Um, and the feeling is from people at Castilla, which is Real Madrid's B team, um, he, he's right now just wants to train with Cristiano and the superstars and he maybe sees himself as better than the others. And some promises maybe haven't been kept in terms of he wants a bit more action with the first team. So that's how things stand at the moment. Now, the, the, the response to him refusing to train with Castilla mm-hmm. beyond, um, you know, outside of that, 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 uh, that training session just before a game. What has it been both from, from what you're hearing out of Madrid and then in, in general, the sort of the, the fan base, I guess, is this, well, we've got a petulant child on our hands or is this, Hey, the club did promise him these things. Why are they trying to change it on him now? Yeah, it's very mixed. Those are definitely the two factors and it's a case of taking a side really. Um, about which one you, you actually believe. Um, so it is very much down the line at the moment. I think there's a acknowledgement that maybe Real Madrid have, have said certain things to Odegaard to get him to come, to turn down Bayern Munich, to turn down Manchester United, or the, the other million clubs that he, uh, toured with his father. Um, and then there's a part of that, should Odegaard really not be complaining? Should he just be getting his head down and, and working hard and, and realize that he can't just walk into the first team because the likes of Kadira and Yaramendi, they can't get games in their team. So why is this, this Norwegian uh, kid, why, why should he just walk into the team? So it, it's very much split down the line of feeling on this story at the moment. Well, I, I guess what we have to ask here is whether or not we should be surprised at all if he does have a bit of a petulant attitude, if he does think it, he's got, if his head has swelled, because again, it's, it's about the chase from those clubs you mentioned. If you have Real Madrid, Manchester United, Bayern Munich coming after you, and then the team that does ultimately sign you has, has, you know, again, bigged you up so much in order to get you to come to your, to their club. How, how else would we expect a 16 year old to handle all of this? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's probably a few people who's going to say, like, look, um, you know, the defender or the garden say, like, look, um, I think the, I think the main thing is he should have been, there's clearly something going on with the way he's handled by, by his parents, by his father, namely, who was, who organized the tour, who organized, who decided which team uh, Martin would Martin would sign for? So I think something's gone wrong there. And yeah, there's got to be an expectancy that look, you, you you tell this kid he's the he's the he's this wonder kid in world football. You pay him all this money. You you know you put him alongside Cristiano. You say look, the you know it's the big one of the biggest clubs in the world. And okay, he's gonna you know you're asking a lot for somebody to stay grounded and all that. But I don't know. I, I still think, I think you can look at it from every single different an- angle, but I think he should have been better advised. I think there was, there should have been a different move. You know, I, I was very much in favor of uh, Odegaard going to Ajax because I think that would have been a good move for him. Yeah. You know, the, the bigger the club, the bigger his expectations of being a star fairly quickly. I mean, that, that seems, that doesn't seem like they would go together necessarily because it would be more difficult for Morton Odegaard to break into the Real Madrid. Uh, first team than it will be for him to would be for him to break into the Ajax first first team just based on pure talent available and yet because they're Real Madrid that sort of again swells his head this is the club that came in for me well I must be amazing I must be the best thing uh since sliced bread I'm the golden child which again (laughs) is partly on his parents as you identified one on Twitter wants to know David if you if you think any of this has to do with a language issue when it comes to Odegaard 
Um, yeah, that's another thing as well. That has actually been mentioned. It was in the report as well. The language situation has been, you know, it has been there. He's obviously getting schooling to, to brush up on his on his Spanish, but you know, it, it's it's difficult sometimes when you've got lots of things going on. You've got your lessons, you've got your education going on, you've got your football going on as well, and then you've got your Spanish as well going on, and then there's other things as well as adjusting and adapting to life. Uh, in a city where maybe where your friends aren't anymore, and again he's very young, he's 16 year old. You know, it's a it's a big change in many areas for him. There's a bigger picture here, though. I think I think people need to. I think if these reports are still coming out in a year's time and we haven't seen a change in the situation, that's maybe when we should worry. I think right now it's a bit too immediate to to look at this story and and, and take too much from it. I think a year down the line we need to see his adaptation, see how Real Madrid are handling them. And to be honest, we truly don't actually know what is really going on at Real Madrid. Um, with Odegaard as well, this report come out, and it'll be interesting to see how it develops. Uh, certainly, and, and you can't call him a spoiled product, a spoiled talent, until he reaches a point where it, it's clearly there's no return, or he's not showing enough to even uh, to even uh, you know. Get, and, and again, this is all relative too. I mean, we're going to say he's a disappointment if he's not starring for Real Madrid in three or four years. But if yeah. he is, if he does make him, if he make, if he leaves Madrid and he's playing first team minutes for a mid table club in Spain or or somewhere else, I mean that's not like it's a bad career either. It's just it's not it's not up to no. the, the standard that has been presented, and, and again up to what his expect expectations are. And this brings me to the question, David, of how these how these situations are handled, how these phenoms, how these wonder kids are are ultimately handled in a global soccer environment. If if Martin Odegaard debuts for Norway at 15, he's clearly an incredibly talented player. Is the best thing for the the, the next best thing for his career to happen is for all th- all of these big clubs who are going to spend millions of, of dollars on him to come in for well not, not millions on him but I mean that that spend millions and, and billions of dollars on uh, on talent in general to come in for him is that really the best thing for his career? No, certainly not. I think it should have been done a lot more under the radar. And like I said, a move to Ajax would have allowed him to. To develop in a in a way away from the, the microscope of football, and especially with Real Madrid, the media is brutal here as well in Spain sometimes, you know. And and these stories are going to be picked upon all the time. This is just the first of many. What we'll see over the next year, there's going to be more to come. Um, but I will say, I think the whole tour thing, where Martin was going around trialing at different clubs, saying he didn't like this, saying he didn't like that, not him personally, but coming from his father and, and noises around his camp got things off on the wrong foot for him in terms of Odegaard in, in the wider football world. I think that's left a sour taste with a lot of people. A lot of people got really sick of hearing, oh, Odegaard's in Munich today, oh, Odegaard's in London today. And I think that's really, I don't know, it's not going to give him a lot of sympathy if things are going wrong here, unfortunately. And, and again, that's sort, of, that's sort of a created profile, a, 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 a perception of Odegaard that may or, not, may or may not be fair. I mean, based on his actions at Madrid and if he's refusing to train with the second team because he wants to be spending time with the first team again you have to you have to remember that there may have been promises made and broken and and if he, yep. but if he's he's got this reputation now as spoiled as churlish mm-hmm. as 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 a problem child that's going to to follow him for a long time i mean well yeah. so so is, is it is it fair again it's 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 not really fair we don't know exactly what's going on internally I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm sort of flustered by the notion of a 16 year old kid having all of this thrust upon him, and then us expecting him to just put his nose down and develop into the superstar he's supposed to supposed to be. Yeah, precisely. That's what a lot of people told me on Twitter yesterday. Because 
I don't know. I, again, I was one of those people very much soured by the whole tour thing. And I, and when I heard that this, this kid was maybe putting his nose up at training with the, uh, the reserves of Castilla, especially given all the, the money he's on and the problems that are currently in Spain at the moment, uh, how much players are earning and, and what they're getting and, uh, and a bit of humility would have been nice. But then a few people came back and said, look, what do you expect? This is, this is how his life has already started in football. So I understand both sides of the argument completely. David, we, we don't get a chance to talk uh, MLS topics with you very often, but I think we absolutely have a chance to uh, today. You were tweeting yesterday or the day before, I apologize, don't have the timeline down, that uh, Andoni Irola may be moving to MLS uh, from Athletic Bilbao. What, what's the story here? Yes, that's right. Um, Irola is the fourth highest appearance maker at Athletic Bilbao, a very historic treatment. They're pretty much historically the third biggest club in Spain after Real Madrid and Barcelona. He's He's made over 500 appearances. He's 32 now. Injuries have piled up a little bit, a bit, but he's still a very capable player, as we saw as Athletic beat Real Madrid not so long ago. He was he was fun, he was one of the men of the um, men of the match in that game, and he's got an option to renew his contract at the end of the season, a further year with Athletic, and he's decided he doesn't really he doesn't want to do that, and he wants a new adventure, and that adventure will be MLS. Um, there's no particular team in mind, but his daughter has just been born. He wants her to uh, learn English, and America is the, the best place for that he, he believes, and he likes the idea of going there. But the Spanish players have gone, as we, as we know. Um, so he'll be looking for a club in MLS this summer. Do, do, you have any, um, do you have any sense if he's had discussions now, obviously, with the, the structure of MLS, he's going to have a contract with the league, and then there'll be some process by which he is, uh, he is put with a team. I suppose somebody's already got a, a claim on him through the uh, convoluted MLS rule system. But are you aware of an actual contract being discussed yet? Um, no, no, not at all in terms of a team or anything like that. It's just a case of this has been known for quite a few months. He he wanted to leave and he was deciding where's best and it's kind of like that he believes the States is the, this, the best place. This will be interesting to see. I mean, I'll ask my listeners now. Hit us up on Twitter at Soccer Morning. Who could use a right back of this quality because he immediately becomes um, one of the more dependable defenders in the league just based on his experience and the level he's he's yeah. capable of. Um, just to, to widen this out just a bit, David, before we, we have to let you go. Um, is this a, I don't say it's a trend, but are you, uh, are you aware of, of it, within La Liga players of maybe this age, 30, 32, 36, uh, 34, 36 years old deciding, Hey, you know, now it's time for me to try something different, especially players who've been at one club for their entire career. And and, yeah. and make the jump either to uh, to MLS or even I mean th there are some some other opportunities whether it's Australia or China is this going to become a, a bigger thing for Spanish players? Yeah, definitely. I think it's going to be an increasing trend over the next three to four years. And and again, Errol is thirty two. We're not talking about somebody who's thirty seven or thirty eight here. He's, he's still got a lot to give. So it'll be a, a brilliant sign. Whoever gets him gets an absolutely fantastic right back who who I think could play two more years in the Liga. Um, if he's tread right um, in terms of how many games he gets. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think this is going to be a trend. A lot of them want to, a lot of the players want to learn English. They've obviously got children. You want, they want them to learn English. America can give a good way of life for them. And there's a Spanish population, obviously, in America. We, we don't have to, to go on about that. And yeah, it's a, it's a great move. I think better than China or Australia or anywhere like that. Well, we actually did hear, I, 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 this, I learned this myself. There's actually a, a friendly, uh, plan for Boise, Idaho, where apparently there is a large, 
Basque expatriate yes. population. I did. I was not aware of this. This is fascinating to me. I wonder if we've got anybody listening in Boise who might want to give us their insight on the Basque community there. But that's uh, yeah. So there not only is there a, uh, a Basque community in the states who may be interested to learn about this. Clearly, every team that needs uh, needs an upgrade at right back. Now the question, David, and maybe you don't know this. Um, but I guess we'll have to speculate as to what his salary demands might be. I mean, whether he wants to make the move or not, he's going to want to get paid what he's worth. And in, in MLS, we obviously know that over a certain threshold, he has to be a designated player, which there are only three slots per team. Um, so it's a matter of also who has that open slot. If he is going to be, I imagine, you know, th- this is a player that's worth something, uh, something approaching a million dollars a year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know what David V is on, but uh, it will probably be half of that. It won't be anywhere near as that much. He's not a big earner, athletic or bow as well. He's a very humble, professional sort of guy. I don't think he's going to go around making any demands. He'll just want a nice paycheck to end his career on, but nothing outlandish, I don't think. David, I uh, appreciate the time as always as we get ready to wrap this up here. Um, just just give me your sense of, um, you know, the, the again, you you outlined earlier, we sort of brushed past it. The, the intrigue in La Liga being right now in that third that battle for third place with uh, Letty trying to hold off uh, Sevilla, Valencia. What, uh, what's the uh, crucial moment? What's the crucial thing that these teams need to do in order to make sure they have a chance at that third place position? Yeah, yeah. I think the big factor is uh, Sevilla have European commitments. So everybody will be watching them to see how they can manage coming back off the European fixture midweek. Valencia, Villarreal, and uh, they don't have that problem. Atleti obviously also have that problem. So it's a case of Valencia and Villarreal coming into games fresh and um, basically tackling that situation. And, and tonight it starts. Tonight is a, a huge game. Valencia must beat Athletic, I think, at Samuel's tonight to, to really say, look, we're, we're in this race and we're going away all the way to the end. So I would advise people to watch that game tonight. David Cartledge, follow him on Twitter. It's David J A C A. He's uh, brilliant every time he comes on the show. David, we appreciate your uh, your insights as always. Enjoy the chat. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Great talking to you. All right, there goes uh, David Cartledge. Good to have him on. Let's set this up. When we come back, we are going to grab Kevin Kincaid from uh, CBS up in Philadelphia. We'll talk about Ryzen Bowley and his ouster as goalkeeper for the Philadelphia Union. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. To Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, talking MLS, Philadelphia Union. Yes, I know, look, I know earlier in the week we had a kind of a bitch fest for Union fans. They got some frustrations out over the state of the team. We questioned uh, some of the decisions being made at the top. We questioned uh, Ryzen Boley being the starting goalkeeper for the Philadelphia Union. Well, that situation has changed. Kevin Kincaid from CBS Philadelphia and the Philly Soccer Page is on the line uh, to talk about it. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing well, Jason. How you been, man? As you said before we came on the air, it's uh, it's it's kind of funny and hilarious and saddening and a million different things that we're talking about this five weeks into the season. That we had to have a, a press conference, Kevin, 
to for for Jim Curtin to express that Emboli is essentially done. Give me give me how you parse this language. Well, I think the silver lining, first off, in that is just, just you know, it seemed like this was inevitable. At least we get it out of the way five weeks into the season, as opposed to to five months into the season. You know, um, but no, I, th- I think Jim chose his words carefully yesterday, and he basically said, "Look, it's a performance thing," and uh, you know, clearly he wasn't playing up to his his abilities, and even even he was a, even a different goalkeeper even than what he did in the preseason. You know, he had a pretty good preseason. Uh, saved the penalty that, that, that helped them out in Florida. They got a pre, preseason trophy um, out of it. And, and basically just kept trying to say that, you know, it's the performance and that it just wasn't working out. He was hesitant to come off his line. He wasn't commanding the box. Um, said it didn't really have anything to do with personality or attitude or anything like that, which I think is false. Sure. Probably false. But, yeah. but, you know, I think that he was just doing a good job just trying to minimize the whole thing and say, look, this is what it is, and he's just not going to work well, out for okay. So, so, so they're going to change Jim Curtin came out and gave us a bunch of coach speak on him bully then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it's, it's, I mean, everybody, everybody knows what the case is here. I mean, I mean, he obviously, the body language was, was really poor. Obviously didn't have any kind of relationship with his central defenders or even the fullbacks as well. I mean, Ethan White and even Victoria and Rice and Bowley would just wasn't working out. Body language is poor. It was almost, it was almost sardonic. I think would be a good word to describe. <laughs> it's sort of derisive. Yeah. You're mocking maybe. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, when, when the ball went in the back of the net, there was no sort of reinforcement, positive reinforcement. People were looking at each other. What's your problem? You know, yeah. what's going on here? I don't think he ever any, had any kind of good relationship with anybody on this team. And so I think it was it was probably a combination of all those kinds of things, you know? Well, I mean, look, this is not a story unless it was, unless, unless it's a player who they chased for a while and who they were paying big money to. And, that, yeah. I, you know, I have an issue with paying big money to a keeper in MLS, period. Although, I mean, yeah. from a team perspective... Guys, guys should get whatever they can get. But if you if you're if you're an MLS team and you're paying a goalkeeper, how much was Emboli on? Yeah, probably close to. Well, they listed him at two forty last year, but it was it was much higher than that. The overall amount of financial resources that they that they allocated to him. There was a transfer fee that was paid. Uh, transfer market listed, I think, at about three hundred thousand dollars or something like that. And then even then, I had people tell me last year that he was a DP. And now apparently that had been paid down or something. So, so it, it's what, what Tannenwald was saying is probably probably right. It's probably close to half a million dollars that's, overall. That's Maybe insanity. More if you want to look at the over the overall money that they gave for yeah. Yeah, that's insanity. So, so again, this is a story because he played so poorly because his attitude was clearly wrong because mm-hmm. of the way they lost that game in Kansas City, but also because of how much money they paid him. And yeah, you could argue that this is addition by subtraction. For the union, but you had to have the big, you had the big, the, had the big kerfuffle and have the press conference and have Jim Curtin come out and explain yeah. all of this yeah. in coach speak. And now you look at this, and I know Kevin, you're probably as tired as any Philadelphia Union <laughs> associated person of the goalkeeper jokes. But now we look at the roster. You loaned out Zach McMath to Colorado, where he's not playing, by the way. You got Andre yeah. Andre Blake, who's not fit at the moment, is my understanding. So we're going to go with John McCarthy. Is that where we think we, things are right now? Yeah, and you know what's ironic about that, Jason, is that Nick Sikovich, I think, came out last year, and there was a quote where he said, you know, look, I think now we have three of the best goalkeepers uh, in the league. And he was talking about Rice and Bowley, Andre Blake, and Zach McMath. And fast forward to five games into the 2015 season, and neither one of those is starting. <laughs> you have the 22-year-old kid who was the USL goalkeeper of, of the year last year who played for the Rochester Rhinos. Um, so, you know, let me, let me just back it up a minute here. Let me just, let me just try to give the ultimatum on the Boldy signing and how it was made and what happened. 
you know, at the time, remember John Hackworth had just got fired and Jim Curtin was the interim coach. They were looking around, sniffing around. I think I was on the show last year talking about Rene Muelenstein and how he was yeah. still involved. And, 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 you know, even though he wasn't going to be the head coach, they were still taking advice from him. And this was sort of preceded him becoming a consultant for the team. So uh, I think that Muelenstein was involved in the Emboli thing. Nick Sikiewicz was involved in the Emboli thing. Jim Curtin, I think, who probably would just, you know, what was he going to say? No, I don't want this player. He was an interim coach at the time, uh-huh. uh, um, you know, probably looking for his dream job. I think it was a fluid process where a bunch of different people were involved in this kind of thing and said, you know, the agents came to us and this guy was made available to us. What do you think, Renee? Do you like him? Yes. Jim, do you like him? Yeah, sure. Let's sign him up. Nick obviously liked him. His goal, he was a goalkeeper his entire life, you know, sort of has an obsession with that position. So this is sort of the involvement of a lot of different people. And at the end of the day, you know, the biggest issue with this, Jason, is not his performance or his attitude or anything like this. The biggest issue is that they never needed him in the first place. Right, right. And, and you know, that that throws up a bunch of red flags for me, Kevin, and I don't I don't want to go out. I'm not going to gonna slander anybody here, but I will. I don't to, to, to kind of drive home this point and the red flags that are up. This is a club that had an issue, and I don't know where things are uh, with the investigation or anything else, but with Peter Novak and Mm -hmm. some relationships with agents and perhaps some money being passed around because of signings. And, again, I'm not throwing that at at Sikiewicz or anybody else or Hackworth or anybody else that was involved at the time. But that when you don't need a player and you're spending this much money on a player and Muhlenstein shows up and says, yeah, this is a guy I, I like and, you know, again, there, there, a lot of things are, are not cool here, even if it's just a matter of how the organization is being run from a let's win some games perspective. It's certainly a fair point. And again, maybe something more will come up with that. But as you noted, that was notorious in the in the Peter Novak era. And that's why John Hackworth cut ties with all of the Central American and South American players that Peter Novak and Diego Gutierrez signed in 2012. All those guys were out the door almost immediately. And then even then, the Freddie Adu situation, that lingered into 2013 with the whole Cleverson swap and whatnot. Seems like every year they have a new coach or a new season or whatever, they still have they still have some kind of financial constraint from the year before that's sitting on top of them. But you know what the disappointing thing is, Jason? It's not, you know, as, as poorly as Rice was last year, he had an offseason, he played in the African Cup of Nations, he had a good preseason, everybody was saying, all right, it's, you know, we'll see, we'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, we'll see what he has this season, maybe he'll turn out to be a great goalkeeper. And so the slate was theoretically clean. You know, I mean, they were saying, well, let's give him a chance, let's see what he has, people seem to have turned the page, uh, we'll put him back there, he's starting a, a fresh start, a fresh season. And it only took four games, probably four games, five games to go downhill. And I'm not, I'm not going to absolve the defense of, of the, the, the issues of the blame either because the defensive marking was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, the positioning from some of the defenders was really, really bad. And Raiz was hung out to dry on a couple of those goals, but he didn't do anything to, you're sitting there waiting for him to differentiate himself from Zach McMath or make that save, make that stop that kind of saves a point or saves a goal or something like that. And even with the poor defensive positioning and marking, that never happened. You know, I, I, I'm just looking at the roster here, Kevin. I'm thinking about the way the union are playing right now, which is obviously poor. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about the way that things have gone over the last couple of years, and it just, it, you know, it occurs to me that there is, a, 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 seems to be a problem with alienating players, with making, with, with driving players, pushing players away, forcing play, mm-hmm. players who are upset with the team. And again, yeah, this is a two-way street, and ultimately it's a business, and you, you gotta be willing to make hard decisions. But you, you anger Zach McMath by drafting Andre Blake. Now he's not, he's on loan when you could probably use him. You're bringing him Bowley, which obviously, you know, on that kind of money is going to be questionable to a lot of guys. 
You've got uh, you've the Carlos Valdez situation, which has gone back and forth and back and forth. Austin Berry is traded for, and now he's on loan. They couldn't get anything out of Austin Berry. Are you serious? I, I, I'm just... And Dan, Danny Cruz is sent out on loan to, uh, to to Norway as well. Yeah, you know, it, this, this team. And no, I, I, it's it's funny we laugh about Jason, but I I've, I've been you know messing out the idea of writing a, writing a book about the Philadelphia Union, and uh, just for you know for for the hell of it, I just started to put together an outline of just you know what's happened in the in the last in the first five years of this this new club. And the story is phenomenal. I mean, even just the dysfunction and the signings and the trades and the on the field and the off the field, even all the stuff that's on the record, Jason, makes for a ridiculous read. Uh, and that doesn't even include all the stuff that went on behind the scenes over those first couple of years. I mean, yeah. it's just been so poorly run and poorly mismanaged when you knew that they didn't have the finances or really much, much to work with in the first place. At some point, you just got to say, you got Jim Curtin in place, you got Chris Albright in place. They say they're going to get a general manager. You just need some kind of stability here, even if it's not even the right guys necessarily, because what's the alternative here? You put well, another Hackworth or another Novak? I mean, that doesn't get you anywhere. No, clearly. Clearly there needs to be some sort of stability with the union. And I'm going to ask you, going back to the beginning and the, the birth of this franchise, whether or not sort of the excitement, the the enthusiasm, the the will that was the, the Sons of Ben and the way that this team came about, if that created some, some expectations that maybe – they couldn't live. No, I know Sugarman took a hit in terms of uh, his his personal fortune, which may or may not have, yeah. have an impact on the way the team was run. But there's a common denominator through all of this. There's one person who has been at the helm from the very beginning who has overseen all of this uh, up, upset and and change and problems and and players going in and out and 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 it's Nick Sikiewicz. And you have to sit here if you're a, if you're a Union fan. If I was a Union fan, Kevin, that's the guy I'm focused on. Should it be? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, because again, he's he's the only him. And- I lost Kevin Kincaid. That's going to be a problem. That's uh, probably not going to resolve itself here for a second. Let me see if I can go ahead and bring Kevin Kincaid back. I apologize for that. That's a brief uh, technical glitch on my end, not on the feed. I know we've had an issue on the feed this morning. I apologize uh, for that as well. Let, let me see if I can pull this up real quick, and we can get Kevin on and finish up this discussion on uh the Philadelphia Union obviously with uh with Rezenboli being ousted that's not just it's not that's not everything here let's uh, let me take a break real quick can we do that Trevor let me take a break when I come back I'll have Kevin Kincaid on for just a couple more minutes and we'll finish up this discussion on the Philadelphia Union soccer morning world soccer talk be right back Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, so Kevin Kincaid is back on the line with me. I apologize for the brief technical interruption. We were talking Nick Sakevich and Kevin again. He's the guy in charge. He's the guy who makes most of the decisions, even if it's not the personnel decisions. He's the one choosing the coach or choosing the GM who's making those decisions. So the buck has to stop with him. No, it does. And, and I'll be the first to give, give Nick the benefit of the doubt and saying, look, he's got nothing to work with. I mean, Jay Sugarman basically has no money to work with. We all know what happened to his stock and what happened to his company, which is based in real estate when the housing bubble collapsed in like 08 or 09. Okay. Now beyond that, yes, Nick, Nick hires the coaches and puts this in place and puts this in motion. You know, I think he got it right at first with Peter Novak, who was a good coach. He was a good in-game coach. He made the right substitutions. He had some talent on this team. And then I think when that whole thing blew up, Nick sort of overcorrected. And wanted to get involved with things, wanted to be the GM, wanted to have a say in signings, wanted to do this and wanted to do that. 
you know, he's not the easiest guy to work for. Um, you know, the, he doesn't rub fans the right way with some of his comments. Um, you know, and, and whether it's his fault or not, I mean, he's, he's the guy at the top, you know, he's the one who, who puts the hires into place. They don't have a general manager. They don't have a sporting director, you know, the, the coaching carousel and the people who are coming and going and the players. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know who else, who else you could, you could pin the blame on other than him and Jay Sugar. Well, the problem is that you're not, you're not getting rid of either one of them, are you? I mean, you know, we see this situation like with the, the New York Red Bulls and their fans being upset over the way Mike Pecky was treated. And, and uh, having a Red Bull out campaign. Well, the, the, the problem is that the, ultimately the owners are the most difficult people to dislodge. You can bring pressure and maybe yeah. get a coach fired. You're never going to bring enough pressure to, to force a, a, an owner to sell. And, and, you know, the, the, re, the ways to get there are, are ways that fans don't want to go, a road that fans shouldn't want to go down. So what, what's the answer then? What do, what do union fans do? Just throw their hands up and deal with it and hope things get better? Well, unfortunately, I think they're sort of apathetic about the whole thing. You know, the sons of Ben that you look to, you know, is to be maybe the, the creative force or the leaders on that. They're all fractured. They don't really seem to be on the same page. You know, one group wants to black out and boycott. The other ones say, no, we're here for the players, you know. And then and then the other half, that's only 3,000 people in the stadium. If that, the other, you know, 15,000 people in the stadium are all just casual soccer families who are going to go and enjoy a game just for the hell of it anyway. So that's sort of split. It's almost more apathetic. It's more apathy than anger, I think. And that's probably the most dangerous part about it. Um, you know, and, and I think that the, the shame is that the facilities are terrible. The Sixers are terrible. The Flyers are terrible. There was such a good opportunity for the union to do something this year and to become relevant and steal some fans and stuff like that. Now you got a lot of people who are talking about they're not going to renew their season tickets. They're not going to come down this Saturday. They don't care. Why should they buy this? Why should they do that? That's the most dangerous point. I think when people are angry, that's good. I think when they're apathetic, that's bad, and that's where it's leading right now. Well, let's hope that uh, I hope so. Some fire gets lit underneath the uh, the butts of everybody up there in Philadelphia. This is a town with a reputation, Kevin, of caring and being vocal when they're upset. I mean, the, the, I, I don't want my Philadelphia sports fans, whether it's soccer or anything else, to just sit around and let things let this happen. I want I want that Philly I want that that, that Philly vitality, Kevin. Hey, listen, I, I, you know, the, the thing about Philadelphia and, and people can say whatever they want to say about this, Philadelphia is a big market. Philadelphia is a big market. It's the number four television market in the country. It's a huge sports town. And whether they're playing in Chester or not, whoever the owner is, you know, I think the overriding feeling here is that this is a big market team that's behaving like a small market team. And whatever the resources are, whoever's, whoever's the owner, whoever's running the place, you know, this, this is not, you know, this is not performing up to the standard of a Philadelphia team based on the market size and the kind of fans that you have here and the kind of, the kind of sports town that this is. And so yeah. that's probably the most disappointing thing overall is that the window is wide open for them to do something this year and just win a couple games and sort of uh, draw some attention away from a rebuilding Sixers and a rebuilding Flyers and a who, who the hell knows Phillies and, and try to do something. But that hasn't been the case. And so I think more than anything, that's probably the thing that's been the most disappointing. Kevin Kincaid, follow him on Twitter, Kevin KCBS3. He works at CBS Philly and uh, writes at the Philly Soccer page as well. Kevin, appreciate your time. Thanks a lot for your insight, man. All right. All right. It's always a pleasure, man. Right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. We'll talk to you guys. What's on your mind? You can get in the new phone number, 646-832-3909. Be right back.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on a Thursday show, Soccer Morning, World Soccer Talk. Phone lines are open, 646-832-3909. That's not toll-free, but I imagine you have a cell phone that has free long distance because that's how this world works now, right? I suppose you could use Skype and call us from Skype and it would be free. Right? I, I don't know. I would love to have a toll-free number, but those I feel like that's kind of passe now. We don't need a 1-800 number anymore. Everybody's long distance is mostly free on their cell phones. Do you ever think about that anymore? Like, oh, crap, I'm dialing long distance. Who does that? Who cares? Do you find yourself, like, dialing, like, having to dial a 1? Like, if you have a home phone, still requires you dial, to dial a 1 when you're when you're calling at long distance, and you're like, wait, wait what? I have to do what now? The phone requires me. That's crazy. New FIFA rankings are out. I'm not sure you care about this. I'm not sure I do either. But here you go. The headlines for the new FIFA rankings are Belgium rose to its highest ever spot at number three in the monthly rankings. Germany still number one. Argentina number two. Colombia drops from number three to number four. Brazil at number five. Netherlands at number six, despite all of their little issues, all the issues that they've been having recently, still at number six. Switzerland and Spain, nine and ten. Costa Rica is in 15, so that's the highest ranked CONCACAF team. Mexico is 18, and the United States is up five spots to number 27. So the U.S. was at 32, now they're at 27, Uh, whatever. I mean, seriously, whatever. I know, like, ultimately we get to World Cup time and you're going to want to be high up the rankings so that you maybe can get seated. We've been there before. The United States isn't going to get seated. It's just not going to happen. The United States would need to win this tournament coming up at the Gold Cup. They'd need to win Confederations Cup next year. I'm sorry, 2017. They'd need to win Copa America next I mean, literally, in order for the U.S. to get to the point where Seeding for 2018 is even a possibility. There has to be so much. There's so many things have to happen that it's almost worth just ignoring the, the rankings. But hey, we like to we like to measure ourselves against at least our Concacaf opponents. And again, here you go, Costa Rica at number 15, top ranked team in Concacaf. Washington says, glad you have a, a New York City area code because my office, believe it or not, blocks us from making long-distance calls. Why are you calling from your office phone, Washington? I know its quality is probably better. But again, do you have? are you like watching your minutes so closely that you can't call from your cell? I don't understand what's happening here. Maybe, maybe there's some other consideration involved there. 646 is your phone number to give me a call. Talk about the FIFA rankings. Talk about the United States roster coming up for that game against Mexico. Remember, this is not a FIFA date. Not everybody's going to be available. You're going to end up with some difficult choices. Now you have Michael Bradley available. 
you have Josie Altidore, these are all the MLS players that will be able to play with MLS actually taking a break to give time for this, uh, for this April friendly against Mexico, which again is a little backwards that the way that MLS has run their schedule because hey, let's, let's make way for a, a FIFA, a friendly that's not a FIFA day on a FIFA day. But when it comes to FIFA dates, we'll just play right through those. Sure, that's that's the way it should be, right? You uh, you, it's a Wednesday. I mean, it's not like you have a lot of games scheduled on Wednesday typically, anyway. Uh, but you do have USA Mexico in this friendly. Um, expect to see guys like Ventura Alvarado. Would he come up for this game? Mexican-based player. Maybe you expect him to, to be there. Right back. Is he a right back? Is he a center back? Especially considering the options of, again, the options available. And, and for me, the intrigue is not going to be at forward. That's where Josie Outdoor is going to play. Jassy's artist, I expect to be in this team. Breck Shea will probably be in this team. Michael Bradley. Mixed disc route. Now an MLS player will be available. Beasler and Gonzalez. Is that who we're going to see at center back? Does anybody else deserve a look? I continue to, to wonder, you know, again, again, Matt Hedges, real, real shot at this. We're going to give him a real shot at this. Who plays left back? Does Breck Shea play left back? Who's your left, who's your left wing player? Who are you going to put out there? Does Miguel Ibarra get another chance to show himself on a big stage against Mexico? That's, That's it all. That's a big question. Again, it's a big stage because it's Mexico. It's not a big stage because the game is going to feature the best players either country has to offer. There will be some, there will be some absences that would make each team better. Certainly Mexico is going to go with a team of secondary, third level players, B or C or whatever. But if the Americans end up having Josie Outdoor, Michael Bradley, Clint Dempsey, and even going back, Omar Gonzalez and Matt Beasler, who again featured heavily in the World Cup. If that's what the United States trots out there, is it is it fair to call that a B team? Because if you needed to win a game against Mexico, you would start Michael Bradley. You would start Josie Outdoor. I don't know if you would start Gonzalez or Beasler necessarily, but I'm not sure you have a lot of better options at the moment either. John Brooks is a better option than either one of those guys at the moment. Ventura, Ventura Alvarado, just now in the team. A better option than either one of those guys at the moment? I don't know. Let's go to Washington. What's up, man? Washington, you're on the air. Hey, what's up there, Jason? How's it going? I want to know what you thought, okay? What, what do you think is a successful outcome Short of winning, of course, for Wednesday's friendly with USA Mexico, because I'm starting to get the feeling that Tanil Gilani is in like a abusive relationship with Jurgen Klisman, and Tanil's like, but he loves me, and so he keeps him on. What's going on here? How, what's it going to take to get rid of Jurgen? Wait, wait, are wait, we wait, there wait, yet? wait. Is that what we're are we rooting for that now, Washington? Are you sort of like, ah, oh, let's let's sow the seeds of destruction so that we can get out from under the yoke of Jurgen Klisman? Is that really how we're thinking as a fan base? I. I but the thing is, I, I don't want that to be the case. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if I should be there at this point. 
I'm wondering. I, I want to. I want to hold on to hope. I do. I do. <laughs> okay. But I'm wondering when is enough enough? Like when when do we cut it's, our losses? It's a- am I being premature? I'm asking you this. It's the Gold Cup. It's a hundred percent the Gold Cup. I mean, for me, again, I can be practical about it and say I don't think Sunil Gulati's letting him go. It's not going to happen. I don't care what happens in the Gold Cup. Sunil Gulati has pushed all of his chips in on Jurgen Klinsmann through the 2018 World Cup, and the only person who can change whether or not he coaches through the 2018 World Cup is Jurgen, is Jurgen Klinsmann. But I do think that from our perspective, as fans, we judge him on this Gold Cup. If they finish third, if they don't win, if they lose a game in the re- in in the knock sorry the group stage, they've lost one game in the group stage. In, the, in like in the history of the Gold Cup on American soil, and that was to Panama a couple of years back. If they lose a bunch of games, if they don't if they don't play well and scrape into the semis and get knocked out, then we are going to rabble. We are going to. We have to. And if he doesn't, and, and if it's like you say that he keeps on Jurgen, I mean, what then? How do we get rid of Sunil? Because I think the problem then is Sunil, not Jurgen. How do we? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I just if, at this point, honestly, I was a lot. Ha- I don't know if you can understand this. I was a lot happier with Bob Bradley than I ever am, have been with Jurgen Klinsmann. Wow. I don't care about the records. I don't care how much we've lost. I don't care that Jurgen won a World Cup twenty five years ago. I was just happier. I felt prouder. I felt like this was our guy. With Jurgen, I was hoping that this was our guy, but it's been such a letdown. It really has. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's, it's easy for me to say that I was happier when Bob Bradley was in charge. I'm not sure that that's the case. I do remember ahead of the Confederations Cup in 2009 being pretty down on Bob Bradley, that the team was playing pretty poorly, that there were questions whether or not he should keep his job then. Now, ultimately, he did take them through the World Cup. I, I think that's difficult to say. Where really? Where, the, the Confederations Cup? The one where no, we beat no, Spain, the eventual World Cup winner? Look, that one? Is that the one you're referring uh, to? No, no, no. That was, I'm talking about before that. Just before that. Remember, remember, Washington, they scraped in to I do remember the that. knockout yeah, rounds the of that final. Yeah, they yeah, I, think, you know, I think it was like two two ties and a loss or something. Some yes, ridiculous like that. They, they got them in. They scraped in. They had to beat Egypt by a by a large goal difference in order to make it through. They ended up doing that. They scrape in because remember they had lost to Italy. They obviously beat Spain. That's that was huge. That was a, a fantastic moment for American soccer, and I'll never forget it. But I'm not sure that at various points I was always that high on Bob Bradley either. I I think he's a good coach, and I think we probably need to uh, give him more of his due in retrospect. But I, I, I mean, I'm not. I'm almost saying right now is that Jurgen Klinsmann is frustrating me. But I'm going to give him a chance here to to show us. He the is frustrating me. And the thing with Bob Bradley, the I hate to put it this way because I'm usually not this type of person, right? But at least he was one of us. And sometimes I feel like. Jurgen looks down on anything that's American. Oh my God! And I, maybe I'm just being oversensitive. I don't know, but it's the feeling that I got right now. Yeah. He's got a lot of ground to cover. I right, appreciate the call, Washington. Thanks a lot. Take care, let's, man. Uh, let's move on, Alex. Uh, Alex in uh, Northern Virginia. What's going on? Hey, what's going on? Uh, I just kind of wanted to comment on Washington was saying. Okay. You know, Jurgen does have the contract to be the technical director after he's the head coach. Do you think maybe it's time for Sunil to maybe accelerate that clock a little bit? Maybe start looking at somebody to coach well, okay. the, the first team. Alex, him on. Alex, who picks if Jurgen Klinsmann's technical director and Sunil Gulati has given him the entire key ring to all of the doors and and in the building, and he's in charge. Who picks the head coach? 
That's a very, very good question. Um, I think at some point, maybe Sunil would have to flex a little bit, depending, maybe test how good their relationship really is, introduce a couple people, see how he feels about it. I mean, yeah, but he, I know Jurgen probably has a whole again, lot of pride and wouldn't, wouldn't be about that. He's already given everything to Jurgen Klinsmann. He already said, here, this is your program. I'm trusting you. I am wholeheartedly behind you and whatever changes you're going to make. Because I, again, I think that you're, I think that Sunil Gulati has bought in on the notion that Jurgen Klinsmann is changing things from the inside out. Whether it's apparent to us from the outside almost doesn't matter right now. That this is a long, yeah. a long game. And, and he's playing that long game by giving Jurgen Klinsmann so much power. Now, if it comes to the point where Klinsmann says, I'm better off stepping back from the sideline, going up into the box, being the technical director, taking a, a big look at all of these programs, trying to get things integrated, et cetera, et cetera. He picks the coach because I think it's, it's going yeah. to be, for him, it's going to be important that the senior team coach be somebody he can work with. Now, does that mean, does that mean like, uh, you know, promoting somebody from the inside like Andy Herzog or does that mean going out and big, getting a bigger name? I don't know. Bertie Votes is hovering in the background again. So I don't know well, what's going on. Well, I mean, if you look at it, Jurgen's almost traits almost work better as a technical director rather than a, an actual manager. I think when it does get to that point, he'll be more valuable at that with at that position, yeah, being I, able to use his zero connections without actually messing up. Yeah, but I, again, I'm afraid that if he does step back, if he, if, he, if he just sticks around as the technical director and he's the one in charge of picking the coach, that we're going to have a bad situation. He picked Aaron Venter in, in Toronto. That didn't work yeah. out. <laughs> that did not work out. Now, no problem. That was, again, thanks for the call, Alex. That was about a cultural change as well. I mean, they, he wanted to change the culture of TFC, and they TFC brought in Jurgen Klinsmann as a consultant. This is all pre-U.S. national team, obviously. Brought him in as a consultant said, hey, what should we do? Jurgen, you're, you're all-knowing. Jurgen Klinsmann, you have tra- uh, trophies. You took Germany to the semifinals in 2006. You're our guy. What do we do? What did he do? He brought them Aaron Winter. And Aaron Winter did what in that job? Badly? <laughs> I mean, poorly? Terribly? Tried to change, tried to fit a culture onto a construct it wouldn't fit on. Does that sound familiar? Does that, so- I mean, based on the, on the struggles of the United States right now, does that sound familiar? Now, and then this is going to get all the way back to a question of what, how do you change a culture? TFC had in de- had, had had deep intrinsic problems. They did, and that, and that obviously impacted whether or not they were ready to take on whatever changes Aaron Venter wanted to put in place, whatever changes Jurgen Klinsmann wanted to put in place. But I would I would argue that because of the 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 how long U.S. soccer has been established, and yeah, it's not as long as the rest of the world, but still, you've got thirty years of. This is the way that we do things, and this is how we play, and this is our structure, this is our system. How do you break that down and change it into something that will ultimately be better? Now, there's going to be growing pains. I mean, this is breaking eggs to make an omelet, to use that analogy. Is Jurgen Klinsmann, do you trust, that's what it comes down to here, do you trust that Jurgen Klinsmann is is breaking eggs to make an omelet, or do you think he's breaking eggs and they're all over the place? There's some on the counter. There's some cooking on the stove, but not actually in a pan. They're just on the burner. He's tossing them around the room. They're sticking to the ceiling. No, don't don't ruin my analogy, Trevor Hayward. I mean, that, that that's all I'm asking you. 
Do you believe Jurgen Klinsmann has a plan? This is a simple way to say it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that he does. Phone number 646-832-3909. I think Jurgen Klinsmann has a notion of what he wants this to be. I don't think he has a notion of how to get there. But I think he is in, insanely confident that he will get us there. That's what makes him attractive to people like Sunil Gulati, to people like the TFC Brass. Because he presents as a guy who knows how to get it done when I'm not sure he really does. David, you're on the air. What's up? I have been put in the holding queue. Um, Jason, Sunil Gulati, not only does he not have the key ring, he doesn't have a key. He's got like a temporary badge for every time he comes into U.S. soccer because he's not even a salaried employee. He's essentially a volunteer. Um, and this is the problem. We can, we can have these discussions about Sunil Gulati, you know, axing, uh, Jurgen Klinsman. He may or may not have that direct power. I'm not sure. I bet you he doesn't. Uh, but the thing is, is that we're not, we can't talk about us as if we're like any other soccer federation in the world because we're not. And this is one of the big problems. We need to have a president of our federation whose sole job is running that federation. Okay. And we don't have that. Okay. I think that's a fair argument. I, when you said you're not sure if he has the power, I think he ultimately does. Maybe not unilateral power. There is a board that would ultimately right. vote on what to do. And In fact, they voted on giving Klinsman his new contract just before the World Cup last year. So there, there is a – and that includes Don Garber. I think Merritt Paulson just stepped down from that board. So there, there's, there's other uh, – and, and I think uh, – uh, the USL president is is now on that board. Uh, it's it's it is a, it's an, it is an interesting situation, David. And you're right to say that it's difficult to put it in a context of the wider soccer world because everything operates so differently here than almost anywhere else. I think that's fair. Yeah, you know, I just you know, I was just going to say that you know, it, with another FA, it, when it's the president's daily job, he can in the morning decide. You know what? It's time to make a change, and by the, Noon that day, that guy's gone. Well, it doesn't uh, happen here. No, you know I'm, 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 I'm not sure that I would want that necessarily to happen, David. Somebody firing a coach on a whim, or how, because they woke up on the wrong side of the bed and feel like things aren't going the right way. Uh, and and I don't know that I want a collection of people like the Mexican League owners to be making the decision the way that it happens right. down there. But at the same time, you do have you do have a structure in place that doesn't lend itself to sort of this sort of pressure. That maybe other countries, I mean, certainly this is something that, that Klinsman bangs the drum about all the time is that there's not enough pressure on his players. Well, that's, that's true. And there's also not enough pressure on the coach of the national team. And there's not enough pressure on Sunil Bilotti. And I think that's, that's fair enough. And let me ask, so when, when Bradley, you know, Bradley, I believe was not fired. His contract just wasn't renewed. Am I right about that? You might be right about that. I mean, that's what happens. We don't fire coaches mid cycle. They, 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 their contract ends and we either decide to go another year with them or another four years with them or we just go out and we go and find another coach. We don't fire coaches because we don't have the structure to do it. I mean, Klinsman at this point would have to post a video of himself raping a young kitten 
in order to get fired. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, we're, wow. this guy is our coach wow. until after the 2018 okay. World Cup. Okay, I gotta let you go, David. That was unbelievable. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not sure we can. Can I end the show on that? Guillermo says, "Wow, your listeners really dislike Klinsman. I don't see they're impatient. The U.S. Men's National Team will win." The Gold Cup. I don't think they're the favorites right now. And in fact, I was asked to write a little 50-50 preview for ESPNFC um, about the the game coming up next week. And I was asked, one of the questions involved was, who's going to win the Gold Cup? I picked Mexico. Now, I honestly, I think that Costa Rica might be a better bet right now. But Mexico's got the talent, and I think they're ahead of the United States. And I don't know how you make the United States the favorite in the Gold Cup. I don't know how you feel confident about that at all. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Thank you very much to our guests today, David Cartledge and Kevin Kincaid. Good insight from them as always. Make sure you go to backheel.com slash store, buy yourself a lovely mug. You can go to 3nailfc.com to buy yourself a t-shirt. And make sure you are uh, you are going to worldsoccertalk.com, supporting the show that way. Uh, iTunes, ratings, and reviews, those help us out a lot. We'll be back tomorrow with a Friday show. I told you, I you know, Fridays, you want to slack? I'm not. We're not slacking. I don't know what we got lined up yet, but we won't slack. I promise. We'll be back tomorrow. See ya.